0: Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I am so glad that you have come along. Look, we have a great series that is starting today. Many of the denominations that I'm in connection with are in an interesting period in their life. That is the Salvation Army, the Church of Nazarene, and the United Methodist Church, and the Global Methodist Church. So through this summer, starting today, we will have a series of interviews that will be with people from variety of perspectives in those denominations. So we'll have a progressive voice and a conservative voice. Now, we might not like those terms exactly, but I think they get us to the point of what we're trying to say. So today we start that conversation because there's a very important event happening in the life of the Salvation Army where there is an event that will happen. uh, The High Council is called. I know those of you outside of the Salvation Army think that sounds absolutely crazy, but well, maybe it is. It sounds a little crazy because it is a little crazy, but nevertheless, it's happening. And the international leader of the Salvation Army is elected. And so for the next two, two. weeks, we will have a progressive voice and a conservative voice come on and answer the exact same 10 questions about the future of that denomination. Then we're gonna have that with the Church of Nazarene a little later in the month of May. And then in June or July, we'll have the same thing with voices from the United Methodist Church about the future of those denominations and how we arrive at that future. So my goal in these interviews is simply to let these folks speak themselves. Now I will ask questions for clarity and those some of you will anticipate that obviously I come from a conservative evangelical perspective, and you might want me to bait them hard or to win some points, but that's not my goal today. So just to give you that heads up, I'm so thankful for everybody who supports some more to the story podcast and who have joined who has joined my email list. Um, I encourage you to go on to andymillertheird.com. That's andymiller i i dot And you can sign up for my email list where I'll send you a free gift, and that is Five Steps to Deeper Teaching and Preaching. It's an eight page PDF document and a 45 minute teaching session that helps people go deeper in their exegetical preparation for preaching and teaching with the aim of communicating clearer in a very clear way. So I'd love for you to check that resource out. Secondly, this podcast is brought to you by Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we are developing trusted leaders to serve faithful churches. And we do that through a host of degree programs. We have bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees. And we also have a new program for a course of study for those who are in the global Methodist church. This is an exciting time. We have at at this point, when I'm recording this, on May 9th, we have more than 110 students who've already signed up for that program. So we're excited about that. Also, Bill Roberts. is a person who sponsors this podcast. He's a financial planner who helps people think about their retirement and plan for it, particularly people who are in ministry who aren't normally thinking about how the stock market is working, and that kind of thing. You can find out more information about him at williamhroberts.com and you can find a link to that in my show notes. And finally, I am... We just want to let people know that there is a resource available called contender again on my website. You can find this. It is a six week study on the book of Jude, Um, more than six hours of content there discussion guides, you can sign up for that. And you can find a link for that at my site under courses. All right. I'm now very excited to welcome into the podcast, Major Christina Tyson, who serves as a Corps Officer of the Wellington South Corps in New Zealand. In the past, she's also served as a uh, the editor of the War Cry. She's been a communications director. She's also served on in, in Australia. And I am delighted, Christina, to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks, Andy. Thanks. It's good to be here. A little scary, but good to be here. Um, no, it means so much to me.
0: I have really wanted to have, I, well, I have had some conversations. I had a conversation with Chick Yule myself. I reached out to folks on the uh, Included website. And I also uh, reached out to the Progressive Salvationist website. And they were they were very kind, the Progressive Salvationist side to respond to me and, and give me your name and th- that you were willing. And that's after a year ago, I tried then and I didn't get an answer now. Um, I'll just, just to say, I'm very engaged in the Salvation Army. I'm a sixth generation Salvationist, but I am not attending a call right now. I just want people to know that at the outset and I I'm going to be speak. So the conservative, is isn't going to be me. I'm just going to be the interviewer here trying yep. to get some clarity, but thank you so much for being willing to come and represent that, uh, this perspe- perspective. And I know progressive might not be the term that might be used in New Zealand, but you've been a part of the, um, Salvos for an inclusive church. Uh, other things, I, I mean, I can see you have a pin, a rainbow flag oh, pin yep. on. So, like, it, 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 do you understand where we're going? Is okay if I use the word progressive yeah. from time to time? Yeah, no,
1: that's that's fine. It's probably not something I I don't think of myself as progressive. I think it's like anything; it's a little subjective and loaded, and tends to entrench barriers and boundaries and stop dialogue. But it is a shortcut cut to understanding where we might come from. Uh, and I suppose for me, it's it's more of a personal thing um over many over many years, and that's probably how it is for a lot of people. And so I just find myself living out, I guess my officership, my salvationism, um with certain flavors to it. So, yeah, but um, thanks for listening. I know it is hard, and it's good to get in the room and Discuss these things and hopefully without too much angst. So it's great. Yeah,
0: I think so. And I think just the nature of our emailing and our conversation ahead of this call, I think that that will be the case. Just know, mm-hmm. like, i if I, I'm not, it's not my intention to offend. I just want to get clarity and I want that yeah. to be available. And I do, I'll just flatly say, like, I hope this is something that's useful to people who will be participating in the high council. Like, uh that there'll be the leaders who will go there and who will be influenced by this we will have a conservative voice represented next week as well. And so, I I think it's just it's helpful to see what the differences are, and then people might be able to make better decisions going forward. So we have the same 10 questions for both groups. So, okay, uh, I
1: think one one thing I would like to say is obviously I'm speaking from the context of um, being a New Zealander, being in New Zealand, having also trained in the Salvation Army in Australia. So had some time over there as well, but it will be reflective of also my worldview and where I sit, you know, globally. So I yeah. realize that obviously, I'm even my progressive is a New Zealand progressive as opposed to African or Japanese or Americans. So
0: I gotcha. Um, I and, and the same thing is true. Like I, we don't. We, there isn't necessarily like an incorporated bylaws of the included group. There isn't yep. the same thing. I know we know you're not speaking on behalf of all people who might be termed progressive or inclusive yep. or that. So this is just Andy and Christina talking yep, here. That's cool. But I think we'll get get close based upon what you've published in the past and the things that you support. Okay, um, is there anything else you want to say before we get started?
1: No, that's all. Yeah. That's oh, great. and I just disclaimer: I'm not speaking for my territory; it's private views.
0: There you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, Christina, the first thing I want to ask is about the connected to the Salvation Army's first article of faith. And so what role does scripture play in the life of a salvationist? And do you believe there is a divine rule that speaks universally to the beliefs, values and practices of people across generations and cultures?
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, um, so I've got my falling apart Bible here that um, right. which I've had to put another cover on because it's just written in and scribbled in and I um, I probably raised a little in the Navigators' um, sense of Bible study, where very early on, you know, they teach you to to just listen for, for God as you read and to uh, write and scribble and allow God to speak to you through his words. So obviously, um, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So the, the scriptures is really important. Uh, but along with that, I think, is also that sense of sustenance that you gain from the word of God, you know, sweeter than honey. And so um, so that's there. And even in our church, which is a fairly, um, so we, our church, I should explain where we are. So um, I am in Newtown, Wellington, which is a city in New Zealand's capital city, in yeah. you know, a cosmopolitan sort of suburb. Um, And the centre that we're based in has a core, but on the same um, footprint, is an alcohol and drug rehab centre, there's an early childhood centre, there's uh, welfare for food, there's a drop-in centre that, you know, probably has 100 people a day through it. And so the church is one aspect of this sort of integrated mission centre. So over the last couple of years, we've uh, encouraged new Christians um, to get involved in uh, the Navigators 2-7 series. Uh, which we're calling a Disciples Boot Camp. And along that, with that, we are seeing what it means for people to really come under the word of God and to be exposed to that. And so, um, yeah, so there's no doubt that the Bible does speak to all people as um, as as a divine rule. However, I suppose the challenge is that the Bible doesn't speak about all the challenges we face in life, you know, so you're not going to look up and see um, uh, what does the Bible say about climate change per se, you know, you're not going to look up and see what does it say about birth control, you know, all of those sorts of things. So it's, it's very difficult in our exegesis of the scriptures, to know uh, how to really get to um, the bits that are going to help us to live. So for example, you know, even when you talk about whiter than snow, um, in New Zealand, we have snow, so that makes sense. Um, But if you talked about, you know, the snow white sheep, In New Zealand, they are white, but in Australia, they're sort of a dirty brown colour. So, um, you know, we talk about the bread of life, and in China, it's the rice of life, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so we all know, and I guess as a progressive, um, because I'll wear that label today, um, as a progressive, we know that the modern understandings of some texts are not the same um, as the original ones. So for me as a female who, um, in a very patriarchal reading of the scriptures, could find herself uh, pushed to the margins and you know told to keep my head covered not under just a bonnet but you know <laughs> under under something um, and to be quiet in church, um, those sorts of things if I was to take the Bible I guess literally then my life would look very very different today than it does um so I suppose that's one of the things is that what you're sort of meaning that how do you yeah how do you really contextualize? but also how do you bring it up to date where we are now about things that aren't covered in the scripture in the same way?
0: Yeah, that's helpful. And and so there is, is there any, are there things that do cross culture, cross generation um, that do have the same applicable meaning? And, and obviously like one of the most contentious issues related to human sexuality. So like, is that just something in, In your view, that's outdated and needs to be updated?
1: I don't think it's so much outdated because I don't know that anything in scripture, because it is a historical book as much as it is um, a divine and supernatural book. So I don't think I'd ever want to say it's outdated. It's just that some some things um, may be on a trajectory where the way that we interpret the scripture, the themes that we see in it help us to understand how to make a decision and how to live our lives faithfully under God today Um, but other things are very different you know so in the in the ancient world you know purity was about being kept separate you know keeping things separate from each other whether it was you know um, items or people Uh, even things like you know when it was a a woman's time of the month that she should keep herself separate you know all of those sorts of things well we understand that that made sense in um, perhaps a tribal system um, and the world as it was with us Particularly patriarchal order, but we wouldn't try to apply that today. Um, we can see even in recent terms how scriptures have been used to justify some things that now we would find abhorrent, you know, so slavery and apartheid and, and some of those sorts of things. Um, the death penalty, I suppose, once you could have gone to scripture and said this is appropriate, now you would go, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Uh, even in, in this country, you know, even be, you have to be very careful as to what harm and abuse can you cause um, while well-intentioned, but by lifting some scriptures, maybe out of context and or not bringing them into today's world. So a really good example in this country is um, some years ago, there was a move to um, criminalize harsh abuse or, you know, really difficult physical violence of parents on their children or on any, you know, on any child, but it was related a lot to children. And then, um, at that time, uh, it meant that some of the um, there was a Samoan reverend who took it upon himself to help people to understand that the past, you know, the passage about spare the rod and spoil the child was not a license to pick up a belt and, you know, bash your child. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, God's word was never intended to give that license, particularly to a modern parent, um, but it did mean that, you know, there was an an apologetic work almost that had to be done by this reverend um, to help his community understand that um, God did not want them to, you know, pick up a, a shoe or a belt or something to punish their children. And so you could take a verse And you could use it as a weapon. And I suppose some of the scriptural ones, you know, the the so-called clobber verses that have been used against um, gay and lesbian people are probably good examples of that. You know, does God want us to weaponize scripture? Um, We do, and people have always through history. But um, even, I suppose, it's the plain meaning of the text, I guess, is what I'm getting to, that sometimes the plain reading of a text is not going to be sufficient. Like, it's interesting for me when I was probably a teenager and I would have read passages in Roman, you know, about, uh, you know, women ex- exchanging natural relations with each other. Sure, sure. Um, that sort of one, when I was younger, I would have gone, oh, well, that's clearly about lesbian relationships. But it's interesting to me, um, you know, recently I read that for the first four four centuries, most commentators, when they read that text, would have assumed that it was so trigger word here, maybe, but they would have assumed that it was um, more about um, women having sex with their husband, but with anal sex, you know, so Mm -hmm. I would never have known that. Um, And nothing in my faith tradition would have helped me to understand that. Uh, I suppose Sodom and and Gomorrah is another classic example, you know, I would have grown up thinking that Sodom was destroyed for the, the sin of homosexuality. And of course, even the Old Testament tells you it's the sin of in hospitality to people. And so it's more complicated than I think when I grew up and just accepted what I was told, you know, in the Salvation Army at the time, I think it may have even been Chick Fuel's book, you know, I'd chosen to be a soldier and, and so on. There was little tiny paragraphs covering this because it was such a given. Um, and And now I realize it's maybe not as much of a given um and this is a hard exercise and it's been a hard sure, exercise sure. for me
0: well it's uh, I good i mean and i've here's here's some of that and i think some of my audience might be saying andy i know i've heard you talk about this before so why don't you go and uh go after those specific points well i'm not oh, going to do that and i really appreciate you. you saying that and i um i'll say i do have some podcasts that i've, I've talked about some of those areas but particularly like the the ones that you've mentioned and i have um Robert Gagnon coming on my podcast later summer. So hold on folks, if you're interested in response to that, but thanks Christina for sharing that. Let me yeah. give one quick follow-up. Are you comfortable with the first article of faith? Do you think that that needs to be changed? No, I'm entirely, faith?
1: yeah, I'm entirely comfortable with that. I think it's, it's not something that I'm wedded to, like a a rule that I'm in, living in anxiousness about. Um, right. To me, it's, it's a bedrock. Um, and it's understood particularly in a Wesleyan, perspective, it's understood also with some other things, some reasons, some experience, all of those sort of things. Um, I think if it's, if the first doctrine of the Salvation Army is not used to constrain and, and beat up people, and so probably that's how I look at it, is through the maxim of first do no harm, and that's how I probably approach scripture, you know, love God, love others, is probably more of a guiding role that I I overlay, um,
0: Gotcha. So that comes Um, first. So in general, I'll just say quickly, like the, the way I think about the divine rule is through the Protestant tradition, thinking of of it as a a canon of belief. It's the norm that norms all other norms. And so it's also an interpretive principle too that guides our readings so that the things that the church has taught and the things that have been consistently affirmed in scripture are things that are, uh, we're liable, and that we must like adhere to in this time so that's great thank you for giving yeah, me absolutely. that clear answer so number two all right and i this is one that i changed out i'm curious like what you think particularly as we're headed to this important time with the high council and the nature of governance in the salvation army and maybe i was like if we could make this a little shorter just so we can get to other questions yeah, sure. what what do you think is there anything that needs to change about the governance structure of the salvation army
1: um, I suppose in recent years, so probably since um, General Andre Cox when we brought in the accountability movement. Um, so governance has really been something that the Salvation Army's had to be really looking at improving as other organisations. So for me, I guess governance, I'm very comfortable with where the army is going, but I don't imagine it's an easy journey right. um, for for everybody. And it's not even been easy for us here either. We're a hierarchical, autocratic Structured, you know, semi-military structured organization. So what does governance mean? Uh, today, we, we also have other values where people, particularly younger people, um, really want to be in a collaborative leadership style. And so governance, I think, made sense when you imagined that there was, I suppose, that heroic leader who rode in, who told everyone else what to do, and there was lots of saluting. You know, and um, you just can't do that these days. Your reputation is, is so fraught that if someone comes in and abuses that, um, then, you know, you'll be picking up the pieces and your mission will be undermined. So really for me, governance, I suppose, simply is about guarding our mission. And so that's something any organisation, but also any church needs to be. It's also about making sure that the main thing stays the main thing. And I think that's a challenge for the Salvation Army, as a large social service enterprise as well, with different roles like, so for example, in New Zealand, and I think also in Denmark, which is quite similar, you can often do, you can speak truth to power, and it's accepted to do that, and it won't put your funding at risk, and it won't put your churches at risk. Um, Obviously in France, you have to have a very separate, you know, church and faith, church and state, um, enshrined (laughs) in law. Uh, in the in the States, you know, I understand you have to be really careful in that as well. And so um, just, again, the governance of different countries, there's all those, you know, things that are quite difficult. So I think Christianity these days, we would know, and COVID has added to this, you know, the Christendom is gone, and... And there's a new sense of what we're doing and so we serve God well so I don't think we're in a stage of circle the wagons you know yeah um, retreat retreat panic this is the hardest time to be a Christian or the hardest time to be in ministry it's not like that but we we do need to change and move on a mission and I and even though governance might sound a bit boring and controlling um, it, it can be really powerful so I, I'm quite happy about the changes
0: yeah, great. So like the, the accountability movement and all that type of thing. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, third question, and this comes right from our articles of faith, the Salvation Army's articles of faith. What do you see as the necessary conditions of salvation?
1: Cool. Um, so again, where we're ministering now, there's a lot of people who have um, who are coming to faith, which is really awesome, but they're coming not in the way um, that I guess people used to, where you'd go, someone up the front will do a, a good emotive presentation of the of the gospel, you know, the Billy Graham sort of thing, and we'll sing in the key of A, um, and um, then people will flock to make a decision. So it's very much a journey and a process now, and it's really hard to even tell where someone has, I suppose, in the old days, you would have counted your decisions. It's hard to know when people put their faith in Jesus. You just eventually discover gloriously that they have perhaps through testimony. So I suppose for me, that the conditions that are necessary, first of all, are God's love.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: Because salvation cannot happen outside of that. Um, salvation is not, um, while we cooperate and it's a partnership and we we ask for that gift, it's still not in our control to make it have happened in the first place. So God's love and grace, I think our part is to be sensitive to the awareness of um, our our longing for God. You know, as Augustine said, you know, that, Uh, we are hungry, you know, that emptiness until God fills us. And that is a challenge for people today, the busyness of life, the pace of life, and there seems to be just a chronic anxiety around the world. This is a difficult time, you know, we've had COVID, we've got wars, we've got, um, you know, in New Zealand, um, there's a lot of environmental challenges, flooding, uh, people are are squeezed financially, Um, we've got Issues of justice around our indigenous people, there's um, a lot of poverty and hardship, and so in that, um, in that sense of anxiety, how do you, how do you really sense that what you need is God? How do you, how do you come to that awareness that you, you really, um, you know, you're not going to be taken out of all the misery of life, but you need that empowerment and you need that relationship with God. So let me jump um, in real quick.
0: I yep. haven't heard, I'm just curious, like the Salvation Army's Articles of Faith believe say really, a repentance towards God, faith in our Lord yep. Jesus Christ and regeneration by the Holy Spirit necessary. Yeah. Is repentance needed for salvation?
1: Yeah, I think it is because what to me, repentance and um, this is the thing that I can't remember if it was Brennan Manning or, or Frederick Beekner who used to say that thing, there is nothing I can do. 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 There is one thing we can do. And that is to come humbly before God and repent to say, actually, my orientation of my life has been this way, you know, whether that's been, you know, the sort of sin that will put you in prison or, or cut off your family or whatever, or whether it's just that sin of selfishness that says, I am God in my own life um, and I don't need you. But at some point, that repentance, that orientation, that face towards God has to happen. And it has to because salvation is relationship. So if we're going that way, and the person we've, who wants and longs and we need to have a relationship with is here, you know, it's just impossible. And so um, to me, that is the thing. So repentance for me is not like, you know, lash yourself or um, list it all off, although that may be helpful, but it is saying, I need to reorient, I need to turn, I need to repent, I need to say, God, I cannot do this on my own
0: um is there a repentance and, from um not just like our, our disposition but from sin is sin a reality something that we need to repent of
1: well i suppose this takes us to the whole total depravity doctrine doesn't sure it really? yeah i'm glad um, i hit that too yeah so i suppose when you when you're talking about continuous so doctrine nine as well talks about
0: sure um, continued obedient to- faith Yeah, yeah. And
1: when I was working in Salvation Army communications for a while, I remember a person who wasn't from the Salvation Army, he taught a Bible college um, in the North Island of New Zealand. And he rang me and he said, what is it with your Salvation Army people? I've got some Salvation Army young people who are doing my Bible study course. They do not seem to, they seem to have, and he did say anxiety, he said they seem to have this constant state of anxiety that they may not remain saved, which he tied to this doctrine you know, continued obedient faith yeah, and, sure. is necessary. And he said, why do they not have an assurance of salvation? So who, to the listeners out there, I'd love it if someone would pick up this um, and write something that just reassures and teaches salvationist people that this this doctrine is not meaning that you do have to be worried, you know, do I have to repent? Do I have to repent? You know, is God, you know, about to beat up on me? Will I know? Because that's not that's not what that is about. But I suppose the doctrine of um, total depravity, which is our angriest sounding doctrine. Um, mm. And, you know, we have that. So if I walked out the door of the room I'm in here, which is our prayer room, and if I turn right, I'll go down and there's a huge poster on the wall behind glass with all of our doctrines. And so we have a lot of people through our center who someone sometimes stand there. The, the holiness table is in front of it because our hall is moldy. Multi- Functioning, and so the holiness table is actually out in the corridor with the doctrine. And so that one's a bit of a scary one. Um, the best podcast I heard on this is on the included.com website under resources, and it's an interview um, between Australians, the Reverend Dr. Glenn O'Brien and Major Karina Wood, and yeah. they looked at um, exploring doctrine and scripture for an affirming approach. But it was the first time I had heard the doctrine of total depravity spoken about in a really positive way. And it's absolutely in the last 12 months transformed my view of that and my view of salvation, I suppose. Um, Because it's that we all experience the consequence of our sinful nature. Um, We are flawed. You know, we are in disharmony, but we are not abandoned. And so, um, so I think, you know even that thing about anxiety continued obedient faith it is just that gratitude and salvation to be able to know that you rest in god and that you have your home in god again i don't know if that makes sense i'm not i don't consider myself a theologian um but it was really good for me because i've always avoided some of those thinkings
0: and mm, yeah um, yeah yeah. People good. are often quick to say they don't like that one. Like the, yeah, the, the doctrine. Fifth, it, uh, we believe our, our first parents were created in a state of innocency, yeah. but by their disobedience, they lost their purity and happiness. And that yeah. consequence of their fall, all men have become sinners. Totally. Depra- I'm just totally saying this. my audience. Totally, totally depraved, And as such are justly exposed to the wrath of God. Um, yeah. Some people are, are uneasy with the concept of there being a God's wrath and God's love being two sides of the same coin. And so, yeah, you're right. It is tied together with- Yeah, you
1: you cannot, I mean, you cannot have holiness. Um, You cannot have an easy God who just looks the other way. We would not accept that. And so that's what, when you're talking about our doctrines, I just think as the foundation of what we believe as the story, you know, as that book, Salvation Story and the Salvation Army, the the Handbook of Doctrine 2.0 for our current one, and it was trying to get get across that sense of this wonderful redemptive story, and that's what I think we see is that we are pretty in New Zealand. We have this word called "munted," which pretty means just broken, stuffed. You know. Okay. Okay. We we are not sufficient in our own, and and that's why God says it's okay because you don't have to go it alone. But you don't want to yeah. stay in that, and you don't want to stay in that horrible state of going, "Oh, I, I'm just, I'm why was me on a sinner." You know, um, Psalm fifty one when I was a kid was my favorite prayer. You know, "Create um, me a clean heart." And years ago, I went to a youth conference and there was an um, Australian teacher there, and she had this t shirt that uh, was about was really dirty, and she said, "When you're wearing something that's dirty, you don't care how much dirt gets on it." But when you wear something clean, you know, when you're aware that you're pure before God, that you're forgiven, then you take care with how you live your life, um, which I guess is where holiness comes into. It's so a yeah. tapestry.
0: So I'm interested then that while we're thinking about the articles of faith, and then our final one is often so if people object to the fifth article of faith, then they sometimes object to many words in the final article of faith, the eleventh. Um, so I'm just curious, just in saying it in clear terms that so all my audience, not just those in the Salvation Army, will understand. It, from your seat, is there a heaven and a hell, and how does that inform if there is or isn't? Is does that, that inform the mission of the Salvation Army?
1: So I I don't know honestly I don't. I don't you know. don't know
0: yeah got, yeah but, i appreciate you saying that
1: it's really unclear it's, so is there a hell um well there's literally there's certainly hell on earth you know um and so i guess because i don't know i'm more occupied um and doing what i can you know we have williams booths village on rescue the perishing in church the other sunday just helping people to understand where we come from
0: and was um, that fanny crosby the rescue of perishing or
1: no, oh no, not the song we had. There's an amazing video, you know, of, oh, of gotcha, Bruce's yeah. vision of people in the sea, you know, yeah, um, sure. The great sea and Jesus in the water saying, come down and help me. And, and everyone else so busy enjoying themselves, you know, yeah, in church, yeah. singing their songs and praying their prayers. Um, while Jesus is saying, come down into this hell on earth really, and help me. And I think that's what it is. Heaven. Sometimes I get a taste of that now, but, um, all I know is it's a mystery, and I won't know. Um, years ago, I heard a a tape in the olden days when there yeah. were tapes, and there was a tape library, and I remember uh, hearing the story of someone who went into, I think it was a morgue. They were a reporter, and they went into a morgue in New York, and there were lots of lots of bodies, people who had died from drug o- overdose. And I don't know if this is a true story, but it it was a nice thing on the thing, on the on the tape. And as he was standing there, I heard this. Know, voice that said, Look around, this is my trophy room. this sort of arrogant whisper that he took to be a demon or the devil. You know, look around, this, what you see here is my trophy room. These lives that have been wrecked, you know, these lives that have been lost. And, um, and I think as a maybe I was 14, 15, but that really galvanized me to go, There is a this is the hell and heaven thing.
0: Gotcha. There is is a spiritual
1: battle. And we, we want to be on the winning side. And then when we're on the winning side, we it's hard. <laughs> it's hard because it is a battle. So people in our church will often give their testimony or we'll ask them to share about um, Jesus in their life. And when they do, we say to them, you need to be really careful now because our experience every time someone gives a testimony is that life gets really hard and there is a spiritual attack. So heaven and hell is where we're living now. Um, and on the other side of glory, I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping that I sort of forget about some of the misery of the hell of this world, you know? So I just, just to, to be clear,
0: friend. I think this is, this is really helpful is so like that heaven and hell, not quite sure about it, but there is a kind of a, a, a equal equivocates, like take that, taking that word hell and saying, well, it's kind of like bad things in life now and there's good things in life now and we need to work through it but there is no eternal you're not sure well, no, I'm not about sure. eternal I'm sure. life
1: so to me if i was god then i guess i'd be going well i don't want anyone to suffer eternally but then also to suffer eternally is surely to miss out on the opportunity of being eternally with god so um that to me that would be hell so so i yeah again
0: again yeah, so you're using is, the there same a, word there is
1: a there is a literal hell, you know, it's just is that weeping and gnashing of teeth and stoking the fires? I really don't know.
0: Or yeah. or as the articles of faith, they say the endless punishment of the wicked. I know yeah. it, those it, are the very last words. Um, yes, I
1: know, it, which is really annoying when it hangs on your wall and people walk past it every day. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, I um, guess. But maybe it's, I'm, I'm maybe, glad. It's a, <laughs> maybe it's a good galvanizing thing.
0: Oh, well, that's true. So, yeah.
1: So when you talk about the doctrines, I love them. They're there you know, I know them. Um, I would possibly love a plain English version that was a okay. little bit easier to display. So people didn't go, what's that about? You know, um, and if we had a
0: plain English version like that, um, which was attempted by the way, and much yeah. the critique in salvation story, um, uh, that could take away the eternal eternality of <laughs> yes life with God and life with away from God. Now, however you could describe that, I think that that, that's clear. And I think my opinion is that William Booth, the the doctrine that he articulates the most is a doctrine of the reality of eternal hell. And it wasn't that he wasn't unaware of of various versions of um, other alternative views. Rather, it would have been universalism or as if our entity, our being is no longer existent. Nevertheless-
1: this is that duty of care that we have to people. So if you know that there is something, then you need to, you need to tell people, you know, you know, yeah. you could don't put your hand on the stove, you'll get burnt. Um, Don't live your life without God. There's something better for you.
0: So, you know, yeah, we could step into, um, and again, this isn't a debate, but I just want to like clearly say like what's happening, like, uh. By, by the way that we interpret scripture and maybe say the, the first question I had about the nature of the divine rule, yep. I think the conservative, I, mean, I would say biblical and orthodox expression of salvationism would say that the Bible is clear about hell. The Salvation Army's tradition is clear about hell. And so as a result of that and sin and total depravity and the like and repentance needing to turn away from sins and that acceptance by God. Now I'm open. I'm open. There being all kinds yeah. of things and being wrong, but that, and so just to be clear, like the, the tradition you're, I, I just appreciate you saying like, not so sure like that. And I, and I, would you say that that's the case for most people who would call themselves either a progressive or the included no. group? Okay. No, I
1: don't, I don't, I don't think you can generalize because I just think it is how you read scripture. It's whether you even have looked into this. Uh, it's, it's your journey of your life. So for some people, this will be a, a matter of, um, you know, deep.
0: So it's deep. based on your interpretation.
1: I, there's I not, there's not
0: anything that's true outside of your interpretation. It's just. I believe
1: you, the scriptures, I believe when they talk about how, um, but I also see contradictions in how the Bible talks about. So again, it comes back to that plain, the plain reading of the text. It's, yeah, it's sure. not so plain to me. Um and I'm, I see more of hell on earth. So I, am okay. more occupied on that. Yeah. That's
0: helpful. And I appreciate you being clear about it. And I don't, and the, I, we could, we could debate that longer, but I think I understand where you're coming from yep. and I appreciate you making Thanks, it clear. Andy. I'm going to jump down a few questions mm-hmm. and then I'll do the yep. same. So I will make sure not to give uh, wh- whoever I, wh- I interview next. Um, I'll make sure. And it's, I'm working on two people cool. right now. So i um, sh- Should the Salvation Army, this is question seven that I gave you, should the Salvation Army change its position as it relates to human sexuality? If so, how should it change?
1: So I suppose the Salvation Army has been, for quite a number of years, has been attempting a dialogue in this space. There's been various gatherings, there's been material, the Let's Talk material that's come out of IHQ some years ago and has hit some territories and all of those sorts of things. So it's clear that the Salvation Army is trying to find its way forward uh, in a context as a global movement where some countries, for example, this is um, still, you know, homosexuality would still be a criminal act. So recently, this year, the Cook Islands has changed its view and decriminalized. But, you know, that's not say, the same in every country. Some countries have different faiths. with um, It would be far riskier to mm-hmm, um, yeah. to open the doors. So it has to be has to be negotiated carefully. Um, so I suppose for me, um, should should the Salvation Army change its issues, you know, its, its position on this? Yeah, I think it should in some ways. Um, and I think we have over uh, over the years. So the church has changed its practices and its positions in some major areas around sexuality. You know, like divorce and remarriage is a, a pretty clear one. Uh, I don't know what it's like in the States, but we're having to probably make peace with uh, more young people who are, um, are living together before marriage. Uh, that would have been, when I was younger, that would have been, you know, not heard of in the church at all. And yet, So some of these things we're having to work out. Um, you know, it's not easy. But we do sometimes need to look at shifting our understanding in relation to what happens in the world. So in New Zealand, there's a, a Maori proverb, you know, what is the most important thing? Hei tangata, hei tangata, hei tangata, It is people, it is people, it is people. And so that's where I start and where I stand on this issue is that it? it is about people. And so for me, um, and and I can say this quite simplistically, because I'm not, you know, I'm not at the High Council, and I'm not um on our governance board or any of those things um but i would like to, the salvation army to be a fully inclusive and affirming church where everyone is valued um
0: so by that value? do you mean do you want uh when you say fully inclusive that yep. would include what so i would think like i i would say you you could probably can anticipate what i would say that um I would say that marriage should retain, stay between one man and one woman across the world, not change in any territories. And any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and woman, including cohabitation and the like, should not be permitted amongst those who um, who are actively engaged in the life and ministry of the Salvation Army as soldiers or officers. But at the same time, like I, I, I wonder, like. I'm not, I want to, I'm inclusive. Like I want to include people. I, I want any, anybody can come into our doors. Anybody is welcome to attend, but yet there are guardrails in the life of the church. So what do you mean by you want the salvation army to be, be inclusive? What what would that include?
1: Okay, so for me, that would mean that soldiership. Um, so let's, let's start with marriage. So for me, in our country, same-sex marriage is legal. Salvation Army officer can't bless um, a same-sex marriage, but it is legal. And um, so I would say that we should be able to um, recognize same-sex marriage. I would uh, welcome um, gay soldiers, uh, that they wouldn't have to become celibate, that they could be in a faithful uh, relationship. and I would say the same for officers, because officers really are soldiers. So
0: it's, sure, it's sure, not about sure.
1: officership. It's, um, that might not be a distinction that's clear to all of your listeners. But a Salvation Army officer, which I suppose is like an ordained minister, never stops being a soldier. So right, it's right. soldiership that's the issue. And so um, so I would allow, you know, for me, if I was the general, this is uh, what would be heaven. But it is difficult to, to get that across the line. would you have any trouble
0: yeah. with there being people who are outside like if they're not faithful they're not in a monogamous relationship are you open it to, to being well, more than that
1: how do you how do you do that how do we see we're not moral police currently so if you're if I've got heterosexual people in my congregation I'm not going to do a show of hands on a Sunday morning as to people's relationship status or how things are going or what's happening in the bedroom or or any of that I just I don't as a minister I don't Currently have to go there anyway. Oh
0: really? Okay. You know? okay. Wow.
1: And so why would I? Why would I do that with another group of people? Um, I think some of it is the prejudices, and even I recognize here, like even when I'm saying uh, that we should be allowed to have um, people who are in relationship and committed relationship, all of us know that you have to. You well, you may have to kiss a lot of frogs to get to your prince. So um, dating is messy. And so if we are saying, look, it would be okay for a committed um, married couple to be on our leadership team, for example, um, and to be in a same-sex relationship, I have to therefore be just as comfortable with with same-sex kids holding hands and breaking up in the car park or kissing, you know, all of those things. So I can't just go, give me the end game, give me the couple, because I know many, give me the couple you know, in their fifties and sixties who've been together in a committed same-sex relationship. I have to be ready to go to the beginning as well. And so I, I, you know, so that's how I recognize it. Um, I I suppose for me, it's about Jesus saying, and I've talked about this before, Jesus saying he is the gate for the sheep. And I feel that us in the church are sometimes just establishing ourselves as the gatekeepers. My experience is that God works in people's lives and exposes us to the things that we need to change. And so I have seen people of you know, all persuasions, um, all types, who God has worked in their life. I haven't had to come in as the officer and go, hey, you need to stop this. So we would have more challenges in our context, our congregation, with people um, continuing to want to do hard drugs sure, or continuing sure. to want to get drunk. Or maybe just having a bad week because of some mental health stuff, maybe they're off their meds and so they're abusive or whatever. You know we've had to have people trespass from our church because they want to come with a knife. Um, you know, so so for those sort of things, I find the gay Christians I know, um, you know are very much easier to handle than that. So I know that doesn't probably make entirely sense. The one thing I would say is that at the moment, a lot of our conversations with people are around sexual behavior. I want us to get past that. In the moment, this is such a barrier. How do you talk about discipleship and holiness? How do you talk about um, living a godly life if you're only ever stuck here with this conversation? So because we have sort of become so entrenched in this conversation, um, it's really difficult to move the conversation on to the deeper issues. And that's where I think, you know, the church uh, has probably stuck here. And that's why people are now going, well, in that case, I'm not even welcome. You know, I've got, I've got a transgender son, so I'm not gonna come to church because you're gonna make him feel like, you know, like he's nothing, you know? So that, again, do no harm, love God, love others. It may sound simplistic, but I've, I've been an officer for over 30 years, and probably the first 10 years were when I thought, oh, I've got to fix this, I've got to control this, there's got to be rules, and there's got to be behaviours. Yeah. And over time, I've just gone, actually, that's God's job, and not mine. And my job is to throw open the door to the whosoever, yeah. and not to have standards of um, prejudice and unconscious bias and... And some of those things. I also would say I... that I don't believe that the scriptures do talk about the type of equal relationships when they talk about gay relationships. I, I don't think what it, what we see conveyed in scripture is really where we are now. Um but it is complicated. And there's much better yeah. material out there than than what I can give them. For experience.
0: sure. And we've I've talked about it several times in the podcast. And I can refer people back to, you just look through my log and you can yeah. find various things we've talked about. And I, I say just in general, um, just a quick little... Drop in there. I can't help but say a little bit. Just the nature of repentance calls us, and the nature of love wants the best for people. And if God's best is revealed in the scriptures, of the Old and New Testament, and if that involves our whole lives, including our sexual lives, and indeed that has been clear through Scripture, then we want that best for people, and so we want yes, to make and, that and as I clear would, as possible. I would
1: say that, but I would say, is it as clear as what we say? And if you're saying that your identity, you see, yeah. if your identity is a gay person. This is not about, this is what you're saying is disavow who you are inherently in your identity. That's very different from repenting from being an angry or selfish or adulterous or promiscuous person. I don't have a problem saying to anyone, promiscuity is not God's plan. I know a a lovely gay Christian and the challenge for him as as essentially a missionary in in the rainbow community, is to say to people, casual hookups is not God's best for us. This is not what I'm going to do. So, um, I don't, I don't have a problem with those conversations.
0: Some people would suggest that casual hookups is a part of their identity. So, like, or, or yes. liking so, the same thing is true so, as liking being attracted to children or multiple people at the same time. There's so, anyways, that's all there. Yeah. Okay. I think we know where you're at, and I'm not, cool. I'm not really trying to stop this, and, and some people is, would love for me to come at come at this uh, in a more debative sort of way. I'm not going to do that, even though okay. it's I very think, tempting for me at for this me moment. It,
1: it is relationships, so I want to journey with people in relationship, and then gotcha. I can speak into
0: people's lives. Oh, I agree. I agree entirely with relationships, and I think that the, those relationships lead people to repentance. Okay, I'm going to see if like what we can do is we move down to question eight. Can I keep you for another uh, 10, yeah, yeah, that's 15 fine. minutes? Yep. Okay, then now I feel a little bit better because we've had good conversation and you've been very clear in the way that you've said things and I appreciate that. I can tell you're you're a writer and a thinker. So, all right, How number eight, how do our doctrines inform the ethics of the Salvation Army? And in, in light of that, in our doctrines and ethics going together, we've talked about this yep. a little bit, how, what does that look like for adherents, soldiers, local officers, officers, and leaders? Is it different for them?
1: Uh, well, I don't think it should be different. I th- think, again, the, the doctrines are a sort of a theological foundation. So they're the bedrock. Um, but then you've got all the application of how you do that. How you, as I say, look, what, what do we learn about creation care from the scriptures? Well, we learn a lot, but we may not see something that says recycle your rubbish you know, so that's where, um, that's where ethics come in, um, right. whether it's, and so that you cannot create ethics in a vacuum, you create it from your foundational understanding, you create it from reading the scriptures, um, and some people are just, this is their passion, eh? there are some people who just love um, looking at ethics, so when I was growing up again, you know, Shaw Clifton's Strong Doctrine, Strong Mercy, was yeah. um, a really important book for me, to help me apply the scripture in ethical questions. Um, you know, I was a bit older, Tony Campalo's work, you know, as a sociologist, um, that was really helpful. It was like, oh, I hadn't thought about some of these things. And so I needed probably someone who could take the scriptures and, and apply it. I would say Dean Palance um, for Salvation Army People or even not Dean Pallant's recent book, To Be Like Jesus, covers a lot of the ethical dilemmas that you're talking about, whether it's, you know, Um, sexual orientation or whether it's people living together outside of marriage but you know so there are people who are just really gifted at this. For me ethics is about accountability so if I am accountable to Christ then the way I live my life has to be ethical um, in line with both the scriptures with the experience that I see and with, with God speaking into my life Um, and so ethics is really important and it's also about walking the talk. So for Christians, if we're a holiness movement, which we are, then we must be people of integrity and so we must walk the talk. So one of the things that I've done in my officership is I um, had the very difficult journey of sitting as a Salvation Army representative on the Royal Commission of Abuse into Abuse and Care in New Zealand. This is still ongoing, um, although I'm not sitting in that role now. And so story after story to the court of survivors who had been abused, and some of them in church settings, by Christians, um, by teachers, by priests, by Salvation Army officers or staff, um, by Christians, youth leaders. So so what I'm what I'm saying is that the ethics of a Christian are so important and so traumatic when we get it wrong um that ethics has to be about this this integrity and accountability to god and i suppose that's where the salvation army is a holiness movement we are saying it is not just about crossing the line with jesus and knowing oh, i'm okay i've got my ticket paid up to heaven if it doesn't actually come out in your life you know yeah sure um so that then takes us, I suppose, to the whole faith and works thing, you know, um, and how are we saved and, you know, we're not saved by the good that we do or the right choices we make, but it should overflow in our lives. So, um, yeah. yeah, so accountability I, and relationship with God, with others um, is really central. But, I, you know, I'm probably not an ethical thinker.
0: As no, that's day great. Day I, as I, I, as I think day. that's helpful to see. I, I, but I think that if it's based in our articles of faith and our understanding of scripture, um, I think that then, then moving from the kind of the Articles of War, the Soldier's Covenant, where you have yep. the, the eleven articles of faith, and then the therefore moving on to yep. the We Wills, um, yep. uh, and I think there's a lot to that that could be um, and it does it does take you
1: it does take you back to the hell, you know, because some of the ethics, if we make poor ethical decisions, we will again find ourselves trapped in in trauma and misery. Um, So the Salvation Army is not trying to get people to live a blameless life um, because you'll feel good. Part of living a blameless life or an ethical life is because you will hurt others less. You know, you hurt people, hurt people, and and you will do less damage. So, um,
0: Well, and I I guess that that does come back to the nature of God and what it means to be made in his image. And rather or not, he would have a wrath. Rather or not he there is such a place as hell rather or not he has revealed himself through his yeah. word and if continually acting in uh knowing willful sin is something that would lead you there um that's you that's learn a lot that- of,
1: you learn um, you learn a lot about ethics by reading the scriptures mainly because there's a lot of people doing very unethical things in the scriptures so uh it's a it's certainly a great, yeah it's a great book for going oh that was a bit dumb
0: yeah. Okay, I want to make sure to get to uh, this. I'm yep. going to jump down just so you take question 10. What this and th- I think this is gets to the heart of the issues that are probably related to the challenges that Salvationists experience. and you and I both before we got on talked about the things that we see online and not really liking that and not really having yeah. time for those social media discussions, but I think from the conservative seat within the Salvation Army and I can just speak on behalf of some of the friends that I, and family I have that would be there and um, that it's disappointing to take a covenant be a sign the soldiers covenant and commit yourself to the doctrines to the ethical principles and then also uh to the leadership of the general to see and and the and then the orders and regulations and the like and to yep. see consistently speaking on behalf of a traditional view and of marriage and a sexuality and we could probably throw in a few other issues as well but to see differences. So that's kind of the heart of this question is that rather or not there should be consequences for uh, of a leader to apply this internationally, territorially, divisionally, um, or frontline to make sure that we're paying attention to these Garwells, Garwell. So should there be consequences for people? Like for instance, I'll just say it's uh, like for you wearing a button that maybe yeah. affirms same sex behavior. like. Should that be allowed? Should there be? Should it be allowed, like the um, for the Salvation Army to support events that promote um, same-sex behavior? And, and yes, so, my and, question and, is this: Should yeah. there be consequences? Should there be consequences so, in the in the international army?
1: I think sometimes there are some consequences, but it's um, look for me even in wearing a badge that's a, ra- a rainbow shield. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not wearing it to convert people to um, a particular orientation. I'm wearing it so that people know I'm a safe person to have a conversation with if they are gay Um, and that they know they're not going to be further rejected, traumatized traumatized or marginalized if they speak to me. And that if clients come in, you know, so we have a transgender person who travels several suburbs to come to our drop-in center because this is a safe place. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. And if the Salvation Army ever turned around and and um, disciplined me for that or said, take that off or um, stop doing that, I, I would find that would go against everything I believe the Salvation Army stands for. So I think in terms of consequences, yes, there's some consequences. Um, there are consequences when, uh, and those should be clearly set out. So I don't think for people um are humanizing, because in the past we've dehumanized gay and lesbian people, if we are humanizing, that is not something that you should be um, penalized for or disciplined for. I think there's wise and unwise ways, there are ways where we attack. So if I had someone who um, came to me and said, you need to stop wearing that badge, and they were very brutal or they are really direct, and then I retaliated in a very unkind, unchristian way. If I started swearing at them. If I banned them from my church, if I um, if I took them off the core council because they believed differently than me, I should be disciplined for that. Hmm. You know, because at that point, I am taking my belief and imposing it on someone else in an unchristian and also in a way that's contrary to good. Um, governance in terms of the Salvation Army.
0: Yeah, um, I think it's interesting to think of how consequences happen and how we apply yeah. uh, various levels of authority. And so like what that would be, what, what I would hope a leader would do, and this is what I would hope that a general or a territorial commander would do, is they would come to you and say, Christina, I know your heart for wanting to serve people uh, in all places, and, and, and I know that you're putting that on there, uh, because that, that button on because you want people to know that you're a safe place. But here's the thing, Christina, some people might think that the Salvation Army affirms same-sex behavior because of that, and we don't as an organization. So because of that, because that might be misconstrued, um, I'd rather you just wear a pen that says, I love everybody. And so,
1: in that, Which I just wouldn't. And so in yeah, that yeah. case, I, I think the Army is on a journey. And I think the Army is having these discussions. And I think we are more honoring. I think what we need to do is make sure we're not just talking about people, but we involve oh, sure. people to be part of this. You know, I have, uh, we have gay people in our church, we have um, people on our leadership team, I have um, gay Salvation Army soldier friends, I have gay Salvation Army officer friends. Um, And so in their territories, and, um, and in those contexts around the world, there are places where it is safe. Doesn't mean you're always equal, but, you know, some are more equal than others. But these are people well, that's whose lives are dedicated to Christ, dedicated to the Salvation Army mission, and who are making us stronger. And so there are some things I'm happy to be disciplined for. I might be disciplined for talking to you for all of Oh,
0: I'm so, I hope not.
1: Um, but... There are other things where I'm just going, in that case, I would wear this as a protest, and I would wear this as a prophetic witness um, to the church, to a church that has changed its views. Okay, let me, let me stop you there. You've said that many the time.
0: times, the Salvation Army, I, I'm sorry, to, you know, I just want to make sure I can get a few things in there. The, the You said the Salvation Army has changed its views. Let me just articulate that the Salvation Army as an entity, as a legal entity, has not changed its views. There might be people within the system that change, and this is the crux of the issue. I think that you we could all use clarity on this, I think that that's what yeah. I'm hoping for from the next general. And and the, I think I would, it's been there ag- for the current. Yeah, like, ag- let's just go I would ahead and say it. Like so that I would
1: agree with you. Um, you would envy. suggest think- maybe
0: that uh, I'll, I'll I'll give I'll make this quick, and then I would yeah. suggest that the Salvation Army has been clear here, and that. You probably, and many others, have changed their view away from what the Salvation Army is, and it's hard to say this, but I would say that, well, you're the one who's moved. You're the one who's changed, and that's okay. Like I want to affirm you and bless you and let you go out, and let's let's see who can continue to serve the Lord in our various contexts, but, but my, my challenge is like those who are in the Salvation Army, the orthodox position, um, they, they haven't changed, and it's hard for so them. Just-
1: just to clarify i'm saying that the church over centuries has changed its views on things the salvation no, army so.
0: just you so so I, I disagree I just, but keep going oh,
1: no no i just mean in, in time the salvation army um, that the church has changed its views on things if we go even back to the new testament where we oh, see sure. peter you know saying oh look gentiles you have to be like this and god says no actually um i accept these people so we sure, have a sure. trajectory and so we are on that journey um, and the Salvation Army is fairly young in this. And even the Salvation Army starting was really because Methodism for the Booths and for their converts was a not welcoming place at that time. At that time in history, you know, Booth said himself, when we started the church, I tried to get people saved and send them back, it didn't work. You know, yeah, yeah. and we also wanted some of them to stay and help us. And so here we are. So hey, we, right. are, we are a missionary and we are a changing and we are a, a responsive movement. And so um, this is an area of justice. This is an area of ethics. And the Salvation Army is having conversations around that. Would I like some clarity? Yes. I suppose what I would mainly like is um, maybe we could have a season where we just go, rather than being in a season of fear and entrenched positions and what would it be like for us to just go, let's sit down um, with gay people in the room as well and have an honest and frank discussion. That's very difficult to do globally. Uh, whoever the general is, I do not envy them, um, she or he, right, uh, right, how that will go, because it's really hard. And so it may be that those decisions need to be pushed down locally. And what I would hope is that people don't, Um, that there aren't too many deaths by friendly fire because that's how I feel we are at the moment. That actually we're getting distracted as the religious people did in Jesus's time. You know, we're putting up lots and lots of things that are making it hard for people to see Jesus. And I don't know how we ground this. I believe in the army's mission. I want to stay and be part of it. Um, And so I hope that I can. And I hope that my gay Friends in the Salvation Army can also. Um, and this is why there is a conversation, isn't it? Because there are lots of different
0: views. That's right. And,
1: and I do pray wisdom for the general, but not just the general, because we have moved on from this idea that there's one heroic leader. You know, I, I pray that as we um, as the new general and other leaders come in and come together, that we will be able to, to find a way forward and listen to the heart of God. Yeah. Um, and we I'm, will not, we will not all be happy. Um, that's true. But actually yeah. that's, that's how life is. Even in the local church at the moment, eh? we're true. not all yeah. happy all the time, but we stay as family.
0: Would Let me just add if you could give me a really short answer to this, would you, yeah. would you be comfortable if like in the, in a, in an army in five years, if you were allowed to do what you wanted to do regarding marriage and sexuality, but I was allowed to say, we're not going to recognize marriage and I'm not going to perform a gay marriage.
1: I, I, I look. I would say that we're we're not there yet, but we almost are in that space, because different countries have different legislative things as well, and so I think there has to be more permission giving, trust, and empowerment at the local level, um, and allow not just officers but the community of faith. So this would not be about me and my husband going, oh, this is what we would like it to be in our church. This should be the discussion for the church who gets to have the voice and say, in our community, this is how we want to witness and this is how we want to look. And and if the Salvation Army was gracious enough to say, let's just see where that goes, um, but then I don't have the right to come to you and your congregation and make you feel unchristian because you're not.
0: (laughs) Well, what if I got moved to your appointment? That would be really interesting. Uh, yeah, well, which isn't gonna chat. happen. Uh, so let me, I guess my my concluding thought around that question, and I think we'll probably have to stop there, is that we're yeah. essentially a part of two different armies. And I would say two different churches. And in, in my tradition, the uh, what I would suggest is that once you move against the very essence of what it means to be human, male and female, and then the nature of marriage and what that symbolizes within scripture, You've stepped outside of the Christian tradition. Now I'm not calling you a heretic, Christina, but huh. I'm saying that this teaching is outside of Christian dogma. And so, if that's the case, no, it's no longer a part of the teaching of the Universal Church. And then also, not the Salvation Army. So, what what happens is when we take these views, we have to realize that we're not existing a part of the same organization. And there are uh, there are examples of denominations. That do hold the line on this internationally, and that's I mean, now. And I say hold the line because I want it to be the conservative yep. approach, and you and you would like that line loosened to have local control and to be able to make decisions and to have more flexibility. Um, and and I think that that mm-hmm. would be probably, But again, this is this is what it, and I would say that if I had been an officer when the time came, if the if the move came that you would want. I just want you to know this is what this I would have left. I would have left because of that. And maybe yep. part of my leaving officership um, was, it was because God called me to another place. Well, um, I think
1: that's the thing in because the Salvation Army was started by a couple that left.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: yeah. The Salvation Army only exists because two people left. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's how God shakes things up sometimes and makes a new thing. And um, I, I suppose for me, I hope, that people don't have to leave, and that we can be family together. And the dichotomies for me are not male and female. They're God saying, "Let us make." You know, we're we're in God's image, male and female, and um, all of the all of the different expressions in there. Um, so, so
0: to me, I think it's interesting. It's either a- accountability to this perspective, like the different theologies that we represent. It's accountability, or really separation, and we're separated right now. Like we, you and I if I was active in the Salvation Army, it would be a part of different Salvation Armies, so um, it, uh, functionally and theologically. So I think it's time for there to be accountability or separation. Now, some people say I'm too dramatic oh, with gosh.
1: that. I, yeah, I hope not, because I do believe that, like the New Testament is a unity and diversity. And that's hard. And that's our witness to the world is how we can stay together and still God's do God's work, even when there are difficulties and challenges and different attitudes provided people are safe, you know, and, and some of my friends are not safe, and some of their family are not safe, and, um, and that's what I aspire to, is a church for the whosoever, where yeah, people yeah. can come to know God, um, and journey with God, and that may sound terribly simplistic, and it may sound like I'm denying the doctrines, but I actually live very peacefully in that space, um, well, that is certainly God clear. Bless Christina. The general. God bless the general coming in and yeah. I pray for strong collaborative leadership.
0: It certainly seems like you do live peacefully in that space. And I just want to affirm that. And I'm so thankful. I really am. I know I, I try not to get too heated here and I did it, I just, I was more or less just pushing for clarity and I think yeah, I got that. Okay. So I'm thankful. I really am. I hope people hear this. If they, if they're uneasy with this, I think you and I would have had a great time, maybe even giving each other a hug and uh, h- over a coffee over this. And, and I, I yep. look forward to a day maybe we'll be on the same continent someday. when we can do that.
1: Yeah, bless you. Thanks not, so much.
0: Yeah, thank you for your time, Christina. God bless you. Hi, friends. I just wanted to follow up here on that conversation I had with Major Christina Tyson. Just so you know, and I said this at the beginning, and I tried to articulate it throughout the conversation. My goal was not to debate her, even though there were several points where I was about like, bursting out of my seat because I wanted to say something. But my goal was for there to be clarity on her position. And I tried to drill down some, you know, certainly even just thinking back of the conversation, I could have maybe gone a little further in certain places. But I wanted to give a clear opportunity for someone from her perspective to be able to share and to answer questions. Now, I'd love just to highlight just a couple of things just so you know it might have looked like I was in agreement. I was maybe smiling at times. I wanted to be a comedy in my conversation. I think this is how a conversation would have gone. I think if I if she and I were sitting in a coffee shop, I would have pulled back a, I would have pushed back more and I would have probably stopped and we would have gone deeper maybe on the very first question. So I just want to highlight a few things just to kind of give a, a little bit of light for those of you who are in the same kind of basic tradition that I'm a part of. Um, that might be helpful. Number one, when we think about Scripture and the role of Scripture as a divine rule of Christian faith and pra- practice, there's the, the assumption with that that I carry that Scripture has a meaning. And I think everything I said— Every, everything within this conversation, this might be the kind of baseline for everything that we do, is that entities, intellectually, text, organizationally, have an essence. So the Salvation Army is something, and scripture has a meaning. These meaning, the meaning of scripture, and the, um, the meaning, the existence, the ontological reality of the Salvation Army is not determined by our perception, instead it has a reality like it's not something that we can invent ourselves and when we do that we end up accommodating to our own feelings or we accommodate to our own culture and then it ends up synchronizing with all kinds of other beliefs instead there is indeed a baseline There's a baseline for understanding reality. And so a text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want it to say. And then every text means what it meant. Now that, that, of course, it means that we have to work hard as exegetes people who interpret Scripture to go and use the historical and grammatical and linguistic tools that we can find to get that meaning. But certainly, I wouldn't suggest that we don't bring our own perspective to that. That's why the the, the concept of the divine rule doesn't mean that we come to Scripture just by itself and the meaning just is there. No, instead, we also suggest that we enter into conversation with the history of interpretation and how passages have been interpreted, interpreted through history. We use other faculties to help us to arrive at that meaning, but we enter into the interpretive process From with our own perspectives and do all that we can to get to the original meaning. So, like, some of the questions that I could have asked would have been, well, was Jesus wrong? Is Scripture untruthful? Um, This does does God lie to us? Um, And I imagine that that would that would lean back. I'm not sure if Christina would have done this. Lean back on, well, those. That's the human side of Scripture. Instead, we we suggest that it is a divine book that God has guided into existence, certainly using human authors along the way. It's written to an audience, but not just only for the audience. It's written to them, but it's also for us. And one of the things we can do is we, kind of like the Wesley talks about this too, like that we understand the obscure passages of scripture by the clearer passages of scripture. And I know a lot of this surrounds like understanding the talk, talk about human sexuality. But there is a monologue as it relates to the nature of same-sex behavior in scripture. And and she often used the word trajectory. And I think that that's a helpful word to keep in mind is that the, the trajectory for same-sex behavior in scripture is on the exact same path all the way through. It does not change. So I that might be a helpful piece for us to keep in mind. Want to just highlight so there was definitely a sense that portions of Scripture are not inspired. She didn't use that language. I want to say that that there is nothing necessarily to repent of, and in, in fact of our sin, except for that we just need to come to God. I, I appreciated that that she did value a role for repentance, but there definitely was a diminished view of sin. Um, at the same time, we had the clear clear equivocation about the doctrine of hell, and um, and not even moving towards. Um, Any of the kind of classical annihilationism or anything like that, uh, or class or conditional immortality. There was just a denial of hell, likely a denial of heaven there. Though she left out like, well, if it happens, great. I mean, that's that's a significant issue. And again, if the Salvation Army has an essence and it's a theological essence and what it means in the Eleven Articles of Faith, that's moving away from those. Um, We also just had obviously clearly wanted to move away from an understanding of 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 the the salvation current statements on human sexuality and leave that to local control um then uh, also highlighting at the very end like we got into discussion how like and this is i think where it comes down to for me is that we really are functioning as two different armies and i imagine there could be a way to think about having a historical connection going forward but maybe not existing as the same institution because we're really not functioning the same way we don't have we're likely I didn't get into issues of Christology um there are certainly issues of Revelation not the book of Revelation but the doctrine of Revelation um under a different understanding of eternity um therefore a different understanding of salvation of atonement um we're in a we're're we're, we're we're friendly we can have a good conversation but we're really existing as it's it, the theology that represents most conservative salvationists—and and this would be true for my friends in the Nazarene Church and those who are in conservative exp- expressions of Methodism—would um, be a, a, sim- a similar place. Like, we're really existing as two different religions. And I think that that was clear, though I hope you enjoyed the fact that it was a friendly conversation— and there wasn't any antagonism throughout it. If you if you heard that, I did get spirited at one point, but I think she did too. And I, I thought that it was healthy. And I, I imagine we could have a nice, healthy conversation going forward. I wanted to highlight those things. And I would just encourage you to look forward to next week's conversation. And my thanks to people who are making this happen. Also, we will have coming up the conversation around the Nazarene Church and then also the United Methodist Church, a future United Methodist Church. And my, my job is to facilitate that. I might then just enter in, and I might even say something after our conversation with a conservative person as well. All right, God bless you. Have a good day.